On the Empire Podcast this week, we asked George Takei, Star Trek's Mr. Sulu himself, to give as much thrust as a thrust muster can possibly must, while Felicity Jones also pops by to talk about Inferno. All that and more on the movie podcast had just tidied his desk for the first time all year and is still shuddering from the sight of the eldritch horrors glimpsed within. <sighs> Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, all of whom are delighted by the news that open auditions are going to be held in London for the London cast of Hamilton. <laughs> I was excited. I did plan to attend until I found out you just simply can't walk on stage and shout, Bagsy Hamilton! And then that's it. You have the role. Uh, Apparently you have to be able to sing and dance and rap and act. And um, Yeah, yeah. Those are quite important. Yeah. Well, you know, as Meatloaf once said, none out of four ain't bad. Uh, so I think I've got a good chance. Okay. I, think, I, I think I can do it. Best anyway, of luck, Chris. Uh, on to those colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up is our geek queen. Could be reading for the role of Alexandra Winchester, who's a <laughs> close confidant of Alexander Hamilton's who is revealed in a shocking third act twist is the great 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 grandmother of Sam and Dean Winchester <gasps> right and so you, this, this actually happens okay. this actually happens in, in the US version of Hamilton as well oh it does then I... Sam and Dean Winchester come on stage and their shirts just fall off oh my Mag- as magical just nips this, everywhere this musical is gonna run and run <laughs> Tony's it's gonna run and run it's gonna be a 75 year old Jensen Padalakles coming on and with his, you know, saggy man boobs at that point. Uh, anyway, it's Helen O'Hara. Hello. <laughs> there we go. They will never sag. <laughs> uh, next up, we have our genuine theatre guru, a pocket dynamo who's going to be reading for the role of Tiny Woman Number 3. <laughs> Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> it is, of course, uh, the intensely focused and concentrated Emma Thrower. How are you? Hello. Very focused. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. You act, don't you? You actually act. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like seriously, not like, you know, well, you don't I mean, mean like acts like a journalist. I, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, this is, I'm, it's this method. I'm, yeah. I'm training for a, yeah. for a role right now, actually, as we speak. But, you yes. know, that, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the career path of Louise Brealey. Yes. Off, off of Sherlock. She started out as a, as a film journalist at the um, other film magazine. <laughs> other film magazines are available. I don't, I don't know what you mean. You know the one that comes out every month? No. That's not us? No. Our terrifying foes? No. They're totally filmic. I don't know what you You don't know them? No. Anyway, she started out over there, and now she's, like, way famous and stuff. Way famous. Way famous. So Mm. that could be... I could be I could be the new Sherlock yeah you're you're not going to throw away your um, hang on <laughs> Sh- shoot shot uh, and last but not least is a man who is not bothered in the slightest about Hamilton mainly be- but you should be because I'm sure it involves the White House does it well funny uh, for, wasn't, for West wasn't Wing built yet, wasn't built yet no, wasn't alright so he doesn't get it Manuel Miranda is a massive West Wing fan and there are a number of West Wing references in Hamilton that this is, is yeah. in fact a fact it's James and, Dyer and James does kind of look like a white George Washington I've always felt so <laughs> Especially with the headphones on right now. I look a bit like Lobot. That's true. He actually does. Uh, if true. you've ever seen the poster for The Lives of Others, that's James. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Bald guy, headphones. massive headphones. That's that's pretty much it. It's a good look. I wear it outside. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting look. Lobot had kind of... It wasn't headphones necessarily, was it? It was, it was like... like, it, was a, it was like, you know, what do they call the... over the, the ear... The Patrick Stewart haircut. You know, the power donut. What is it? Where it's, <laughs> I don't know. it's like a cybernetic version of that. That's what Lobot has. He yeah, rocks he, it. It was like the reverse Geordie the Forge, wasn't it? it yeah. 
just yeah. round was it round the, the back, back? Head, yeah. round the back yeah. I sometimes wear my headphones like that just because it's what? you know because it's a bit hip hop it's a bit looser you know it makes me feel a little bit more street mm. People, <laughs> you are so street I am yeah I'm, I'm Avenue mm. that's how street Boulevard. I am Boulevard Boulevard <laughs> uh, right uh, let's have a question sure let's, let's have a question uh, and this question comes from and I'm going to mispronounce this because it's a combination of words uh, words letters and numbers uh, may not be a real human but I think it is it comes from at I zero we underscore a I think that's it's catchy Lowy Lowy a Lowy A Klingon for Benjamin I think it's Lowy A so she sends in this question and she asks in relation to a recent Marvel Netflix show which uh, we haven't done a spoiler special for because we didn't have uh, access to the, the showrunners they didn't come over here sadly Luke Cage our IMDB we're not going to go into spoilers for that show don't worry mm. but there is a character who shall we mm. say disappears halfway through the run of the show mm-hmm. okay and the question is are IMDB spoiling by including episode appearances for characters and actors on newly released Netflix shows so if you go to the IMDB and you look up Luke Cage on the IMDB it'll have an episode number count for each actor so obviously Mike Coulter is 13 because he's Luke Cage and he's in every single episode spoiler and, yeah, uh, yeah yeah sorry guys <laughs> but it's a certain actor who who has who's a major More major actress. character I'm using it in oh, the naughty's way. In a naughty way. Oh, you are. Yeah, naughty's way. <laughs> uh, there's a certain actor or actress who only has seven episodes by his or her name. Correct. Uh, so if you were to look at that, you would go, well, wh- what's going on here? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they sometimes make assumptions with those. And if you look at those before or just on release, mm. sometimes those are wrong because yeah. they've only seen the first seven episodes that were released to press, for example. Mm. So aside from Luke Cage, who they're pretty confident is in every episode they sometimes have guessed seven for people even though they don't know that for sure so it isn't always a spoiler it isn't always accurate mm. because they sometimes haven't seen that much further than you think equally they have. it doesn't mean seven concurrent episodes exactly. maybe he goes to Maui halfway through and comes back later maybe he's in every <laughs> other episode or she forget Maui <laughs> <laughs> but no it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that a character dies it may mean that a character is only called upon to, to appear every other episode every few episodes or has a big arc in the middle of the season but isn't there yeah. every single one I don't think it's a major spoiler and I think if you're that concerned about spoilers you should probably you just stay not, off IMDb yeah genuinely you should <laughs> stay off the IMDb I mean yeah. I, yeah I have form with this I'm definitely that person that wants to find out something about someone say another film they're in but I will use my right hand to like bar <laughs> one part and just kind of scroll people can really see what I'm doing right now can't they no. and then sort of scroll down and just make sure that I can't see oh, it's Bubby. I'm a bit. This is radio, not television. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so I. Yeah, that's I'm, a quote from I'm, Die Hard, by the way. I've seen it. No, I just want to make sure. Um, <laughs> so we've totally destroyed what you were no, saying. No, it's fine. But yeah, no, I, I'm a bit like that. See, you're like the anti-Chris because people yeah. probably know this. Emma doesn't watch trailers; she won't have anything spoiled. And Chris is very, very happy to know what's coming up in for the most TV part. Shows. You know, you're happy to let for spoilers wash over you and, yeah, and have all the knowledge. You don't and watch. I fall somewhere in between. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, you know, I won't say that Helen ruined Inferno for me. If indeed, oh my goodness, one can be said to I have think, done that. I think, in fairness, I ruined Inferno for you. Helen was dancing around spoilers, and I just came out and said that is true. In many ways, Ron Howard ruined Inferno I think for me. Dan but, I think Dan Brown. Yeah, he got there first. Mate. 
But yes. And that, also, why would you not want Inferno to be spoiled for you? I mean, uh, though we we're going to talk about that later yeah, on the show. We're not going to spoil for people. Because if you haven't seen something, why? And actually, you want to know what's going to happen. I didn't give the key piece of information in that conversation. You set it up and Chris knocked it out the park. I did Chris spoiled it for you. I alluded to it in a very clever way. Which we can't go into here. It's not up for me to you know connect the dots, and I'm surprised that James, given his limited mental capacity, managed to do so. James has already spoiled things for me that are coming up. I do my best. I mean, yes. Although it is, it is like the final film in the Maze Runner. <laughs> so actually, I don't know how many people. Care. Did I? Did I? Did I ruin that? You I don't may remember have, that. But that oh, realizing sorry. many months ago. Anyway, so uh, but while we're getting back to this, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I think Helen's right. Just avoid IMDb. Just completely if yeah. you haven't seen something like I will never read a review of something I haven't seen which in many ways defeats the purpose but, but many people same. But, but many, many, many people it. use it as a resource it is is there it's the, a massive it's resource the internet movie database and you go on maybe just wanting to find out more about the show and you see inadvertently that certain actor is only in seven episodes yeah. and you expected them to be in 13 and maybe you go uh. but you know for example I was looking the other day at I happened upon this information I can't even remember what the hell I was doing but I discovered that there's a US version of Mad Dogs. You, you know, yeah, so there's, this, there's this Sky show called Mad Dogs, which says, you know, the likes of Who's in the John Sim and yeah, yeah, Philip Glenister. Philip Glenister and people Max like Beasley. that. Max Beasley. So it's been running four series now over here. And so I didn't realize this. I was on Amazon the other day and I just yeah. saw that there's a US version of Mad Dogs. And so I wanted to look it up and get more information about it. So the, you know, the Amazon thing says, you know, starring Michael Imperioli and starring Steve San and Ben Chaplin's in both versions yeah. Yeah, starring Billy Sane and I was like oh this is interesting I can eat Uncle Billy Sane is in this, this show so I looked it up and, he, and on the IMDb Billy Sane brackets two episodes so you're thinking ah okay so he obviously gets bumped off two episodes in but that's just something I happened upon but that was you know the IMDb just had it and I didn't expect it to have it but it gets worse than that I remember when I binged the whole of Dawson's Creek which wasn't <laughs> actually that long ago and oh, I think I was preparing for an interview with Michelle Williams it was something unrelated and I looked up and one of the trivia bits on IMDb says Michelle Williams' character <laughs> Jennifer Jen Lindley dies in the final episode of Dawson's Creek yeah. and I was like well, there's a spoiler motherless <laughs> if you've not seen Dawson's <laughs> Creek <laughs> sorry um, uh, and yeah it really ruined it for me and I, I was quite I was quite put out yeah. by this thing it's similar in a way with cameos because if if a film is ranked by a star meter mm-hmm. then and you don't know someone's in something that's happened a few times or I know people that have found things out people that you have no idea yeah. anything yeah, to do with the yeah. project and they'll be right at the top well famously of course um, Benedict Cumberbatch's character in Star Trek of the Darkness was revealed on IMDb I think we talked about it even on the show and I believe Christoph Waltz's character Inspector his character's real name was also revealed on the IMDb what because it's just there it's just there it's a bit of blank information it's just there it's information it's users mm. that do it though isn't it Origi- you can do it originally so they're the yeah. people that put the episodes mm. in so they're just going that's this person and, and I then think, it can be I think in both changed. those cases it was less a reveal and more of a guess yeah, yeah. I mean it was there before it was official yeah, yeah quite possible and then, and then I think it was removed and put back but yeah. you know it was yeah you also have this wonderful thing on IMDb of, of people who are like background extras in huge movies like Avengers yes, and stuff adding and they, themselves. they add themselves oh, it's really charming. there are some incredible ones yeah. absolutely amazing it's fantastic but I love the IMDb it's, it's a wonderful resource and the, the episode counting actually works in my favour quite a lot if I'm watching an old episode for example of Law and Order or something like that and an actor pops up and you just want to check because they have the episode count on the IMDb you can actually 
once you go to that episode, yeah. you can go to specific episodes and you can see, see what they know, did what, in the, it. Yeah, what they did really and what the character yeah. name, who else is in it, and all those sort of stuff. And it's uh, yeah, it's really really good. It's a tough one. I would say that the IMDb should keep on keeping on in this in this case, and you know, just have to tread more carefully, especially with new stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're the least of the wild worries, though. Surely, I mean, because EW seem to have a personal crusade to ruin the whole of television every Monday morning. So, you know, you have to avoid social media for yeah, massive chunks worse. of the week if you live in the UK. Thanks, EW. I, really I don't. That. I've somehow managed to avoid like Bake Off spoilers. That's the I weird love, thing. This is your bar, isn't it? Yeah. Your bar for spoilers is Bake Off. I mean, you'll read everything that happens in Game of Thrones, but Bake Off, God help us if we spoil it. Yeah. yeah. Like that no. Gatto failed to rise. Can a Gatto rise? I don't know. Of course <laughs> it can. It um, has to rise, or it's not a Gatto. Yeah. Otherwise, oh it's goodness, just a Gat. James. Yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. I have to watch that on the Wednesday night, no matter what time I get in, because otherwise, well, please, I mean, please no spoilers. I haven't seen this week. Oh yet. my well, God, get some perspective. Helen. Really? I, tweet, I tweeted. The, I tweeted last night. A, I know a pretty you did. major spoiler. This what? Is a TV no, I didn't show see that. About oh, you didn't see that one? Okay, don't. Cake can be spoiled, James. Uh, anyone who's eaten one of Helen's cakes would know that. Helen. I mean, what? No, I meant I meant Helen made my wedding cake. It's a very, very excellent baker. I remember that was a good cake. I ate most of it, as I recall. It was I a feel like we wedding. may have gotten slightly off topic. <laughs> anyway, yes, sorry. Uh, Huawei. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And I hope you enjoyed the answer. Uh, and you did send in something else as well, another question, and we will hopefully be tackling that in a, in a separate podcast. So, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, do send them to us. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We are on Facebook as Empire Magazine, of course, and you can email us as well. Who emails these days? Honestly. Lots of people do, actually. Podcast at EmpireOnline.com. Okay, time now for our first guest. If you've been suffering Felicity Jones withdrawal symptoms recently, then fear not, because she's about to be everywhere. Early next year, she'll be seen in J.A. Bayona's A Monster Calls. Before that, there's a small movie called Rogue One, a Star Wars story in which she plays the Death Star. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, no, I don't think that's oh, correct. That would be incredible. I mean, she'd be great in the role, but I don't think that's her role. Hang on, just I'm to be it. <laughs> oh, you're right. Jin Erso. Jin Erso. Yeah. And this week she plays Dr. Sienna Brooks, who helps Tom Hanks' Robert Langdon piece together a mysterious puzzle in Ron Howard's Inferno. We send our Tom Hanksiest member of the team a thoroughly decent egg called Phil Dissemlian along to talk to her. Do enjoy. Felicity Jones, welcome back to the Empire Podcast. Hello. Very nice of you to take the time to talk to us about playing Dr. Sienna Brooks in Inferno. It's lovely to be back. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Um, It's a film that sets you up alongside Tom Hanks, a notorious bastard to work with. Yeah. Um, How... Do you have any tips on how to deal with his kind of yeah, difficulty. Yeah, I, I mean, it just, it just was, it just was insane. It was like throwing chairs, uh, hissy fits, yeah. um, walking off set. I mean, throughout the whole Is he process, always in his trailer just, just door shut? He just does anything just to, yeah. you know, make the process as difficult as possible. You hear that? So it's really tough. You hear that about really him? really tough for all of us. Not really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's the fake out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, he's a very, very genuine, cool person to work with and, he, and very professional and focused and hardworking. He is sort of widely recognised to be the world's nicest man. Yes. Does that yeah. add, does that add satisfaction? enjoyment for you in the movie oh, process course, a of lot of course if you, you don't want to work with people that you know are, are mean spirited <laughs> uh, on this film I think we had one of the loveliest casts 
uh, I've ever had to ever had to work with. It's they really were. Everyone was very good at what they do, do and incredibly soulful. And there's some lovely moments I think in the film from from everyone and real sort of genuine relationship textures in the film. Tell me the first, just the last Tom Hanks question here. Tell me the first Tom Hanks film you sort of subtly weaved into conversation between takes with him. So, Tom, and I would often ask him about uh, working with Meg Ryan because I was a huge Meg Ryan fan when I was growing up. And and obviously Sleepless in Seattle is, is such a such a fine film in its combination of uh, pathos and comedy. And I think that's what Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan both managed to achieve, which is a, 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 a more difficult thing to achieve than, than I think people sometimes give them credit for. Is that your number one then? That would be my Hanks. number one. But I do love uh, his his work in Toy Story as well. I think it's fantastic. He he has such a unique voice. And I, I, often with, with people in films, we underestimate how important it is and how quickly mm. you key into someone because of their voice. And he has that lovely kind of mellifluous tone. Um, he does. He just kind of I just wanted to, to get like, that word in as well. Mellifluous. <laughs> That's a hell of a word to drop. I know. Just um, why not? <laughs> I don't know what it means. Um, He's he talking about things that are important. Obviously, costume is important to a character. And, and this is a chase movie. Um, the thing about a chase movie is you don't get to change clothes at any point. I was so sick of putting on that coat by the end. Yeah. Literally, the costume, costume designer and I would say putting on the same coat again and again and again well it's all well that's the the joy of it in a way i mean despite having to wear the same outfit for for four months not literally the same outfit i have to say (laughs) the budget did extend to many versions by the end they bring your clothes out in the in the the bag like the like the sort of pathogen yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) the team of people fumigators around it uh but it's it's a set over it's set over pretty much uh, one day yeah and, yeah. and so um, there's not really excuses yeah. for like I'm just going to pop into a shop and change there's not much time for eating uh, or or changing in the film no you said before that you always try on a, the character's shoes before I don't know always but you have done that before for a week prior to going on set um, is that did that apply to this one absolutely it did absolutely because you, you, when you first start you don't want there to be too many things that are completely new to you yeah and somehow if you're suddenly on set and, and, and you've, you've never even worn the shoes they don't have that feel of being part of you okay. of getting the creases of of, um, of feeling comfortable and, and I, would that apply just, if you were playing an astronaut or I think I think anything I, it's, it's one one of my little idiosyncrasies it it just seems to it just seems to help yeah no that kind of that makes sense did it apply to star wars uh and to star wars really yes. yeah because i imagine the shoes in star wars would probably stand out in public uh well it's interesting the shoes were adapted actually uh because you can't have laces in right. the galaxy there are certain rules it's fascinating actually you can't have zips and you can't have laces in a galaxy far, far away. So you never see, in a Star Wars film, you'll never see any... Okay. And I'm sure someone is going to go through and find the moment where one of these things appears, but... Yes, they as, will. <laughs> as far as I know, there are no zips or laces, so we had to cover... There was a, there were a pair of brown boots, and they, yeah. they're laced up, but we covered them with a, ah. a Velcro sort of 
spaceman-like cover. So it's Velcro in, in the galaxy far, far away. You don't see it, but yes. It's something. Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe they're sort of magically suspended in some way, but basically uh, the Velcro is concealed. This is terrible radio, but I have to ask you about this. I'm showing you Jin Erso in Lego form. Oh. Is, have you seen this? And, and how do you feel about being a Lego person? I haven't seen it. That is, what is she holding? Um, That's enormous. She has she has her little mini blaster and then... Do you not have that in the movie? I don't, know, But well, it looks okay. pretty cool. Oh, it looks like a huge baton. I do have a baton. But I don't remember the proportion being quite <laughs> quite the same as that. She has a, a great baton that she has in her... On her gun belt. <clears throat> it looks like an iPad holder that's strapped to, to That she to whips out, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so... Oh, goodness. Look at her expression. She looks very determined. <laughs> Well, can you just tell me? I mean, I know you can't talk about the details yeah, really of the film, cool. obviously, but can you tell me what Star Wars sort of means to you and has meant to you growing up? What was your first oh. encounter with with the franchise? Well, early on, my my cousins would uh, show my brother and I would go around to their house and we'd go and you know have family afternoons together, and quickly after lunch we'd scurry away from the parents and we'd be watching the latest. Um, blockbuster or um, or something on on VHS and one of the first films was uh, do you remember Tremors? Yes. That was the first film I ever saw. Are you serious? That's a, great, that's a great place yeah. to start. And it's kind of iconic isn't it? Yep. It's, um, it's a cult classic. It's a cult classic and then as part of our training uh, it was Star Wars was, was a fundamental Yes. It was a fundamental film in the programme and I do I clearly remember sitting cross-legged watching that you know when the um, titles go up at the beginning and being completely enthralled do you have a favorite of the seven so far that you know what having said that out loud that seems like an unfair question because obviously we're now into your own part of the franchise forgetting Rogue One is my favorite forgetting Rogue One and forgetting The Force Awakens do you have a favorite of the previous six A New Hope okay so not you're not an Empire Strikes oh actually Empire Strikes Back was a huge influence for us. Actually, we'd watch clips of it, uh, Gareth and I, before we do, and we'd get re- before we do certain scenes. It is, it's a real, um, real inspiration for Rogue One, particularly that film. And we'd get far too involved <laughs> in watching it, and then our wonderful first AD Toby would say, "Guys, come on, you <laughs> you got to actually make Star Wars. You can't just watch it." Oh, you'd watch it when you were on set. Yes, just yeah, yeah, for, as for inspiration. Right. Okay. A bit like I imagine Tom Hanks on this movie was watching previous Dan Brown movies that he'd done in his caravan just to remind himself how just, great he was. Just watching his entire uh, CV yes. back, back. I understand. It, it's a good just one. Just helps you helps you to feel more comfortable <laughs> on set, realizing how great you are. Um, it, we're entering um, a period of Felicity Jones releases and we've got a Monster Calls and obviously Rogue One. I think Rogue One first and then the Monster Calls, which when we interviewed you for um, The Theory of Everything, you, you mentioned that uh, Juan Antonio Bayona was playing Nicki Minaj before <laughs> scenes on that film. I've subsequently seen the movie <laughs> you, and oh, I, do not understand, I do not understand that. It's an incredible, I really loved it. It's very hard hitting and, and moving. Nicki Minaj, can you, how, what, how did, talk me through that. Well, that came about, it was for certain scenes uh, with, um, between Connor and I, and it was just a kind of, uh, if we needed a, something a little bit more relaxed or a bit of humour in a moment, okay. then, then they'd, he'd splice in a bit of um, Nicki Minaj in between 
uh, in between the beautiful score that he'd already had in his mind for for ages and it was quite unique to have the score playing over certain scenes oh, right. as you're performing them had you had you experienced that before um, i haven't sad? no right. no and and not since it's 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 really really special because then everyone on set the crew and the cast everyone kind of comes together and and you really understand the tone of, of the film that you're that you're in and it I, I found it very very helpful it's sort of music is direction I suppose in a way and it, just creating the mood exactly creating the mood yeah exactly Nicki Minaj does not make the final soundtrack of this movie she doesn't no she think. may be on the extra features <laughs> did you meet uh, Liam Neeson because obviously he voices the monster the tree did you meet him at any point in the process I uh, we met quite early on and with Sigourney uh, and Biona um, and we met and had a read through, right, in Soho actually, and and Liam Neeson was there. But that was the only time we we met each other because then he was into motion capture and and we don't actually no he, uh, my character and his character don't have any scenes together. Was he doing his full tree monster voice in the read through, or it, was that something it, that developed? It was that beautiful it's amazing. voice, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's a bit like when everyone was saying about. Um, uh, Scarlett Johansson being nominated for her for her voice I feel that that uh, yes. Liam Neeson is a strong contender yes <laughs> if there was such a category what mellifluous voice work oh I like I like what you did there <laughs> I don't I know like, what it means I'm just throwing it back I like um, how you it means honey like apparently oh okay honey like sort of yeah it's kind of honey like but it's also quite bus- deep deep resonant yes and booming Lewis. yeah it just makes you sound really clever basically it's a great word why not <laughs> um i wondered what's next for you after that because your imdb page sort of ends with that and i'm sure you've got other projects yeah so i'm talking and um meeting about various projects and i'm, I'm looking to do something um next year and there's nothing i can talk about yet but um, yeah, always again finding something. I'd love to do something with a bit of humour and a bit different than I've than I've done before. Did doing the girls cameo uh, sort of awaken that? Oh, urge? That, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that show is so well edited. I said to them afterwards because when you're actually shooting it, you sort of have no idea if anything lands or yeah. or it's quite a particular tone that you're trying to capture, and. Um, and then afterwards, when I watched it, it all somehow, uh, they obviously know their material so well and, and something really special happens in the edit that the, that you, the, the timing really comes through. Yeah. Um, I have to wrap. Thank you so much, Felicity. A real pleasure to chat. Felicity Jones there, and if you didn't like that Felicity Jones interview, there'll be another one along in about five minutes. <laughs> can I um can I can I just impart a gift Please. upon upon our various listeners? Oh, and that's that, <laughs> that uh, as we were discussing slightly earlier in the office, it's got to the point now where no one can mention the film Inferno without Inferno. saying it to the tune of uh, Informer. Informer by nineteen ninety three white reggae artist Snow from his debut album Twelve Inches of Snow. See what he oh, did there. Dear. Uh, and it's uh, at this point, it's driving me mental. Like I, I cannot not hear it every time. I need to hear and to make sure that our readers can't not hear it, here's some of it. Hang on. Uh, it should get through a bit. You might want to hold it closer to the mic. Yeah. There we go. He sings it directional, you know. Uh, 
I understand none of these lyrics. <laughs> okay, there you go. That no. is it. Inferno. <laughs> yeah, we haven't made up the rest of it. We, no. You know, no. Just we need, we need to come up with that, but Inferno. So, what would go. the leaky boom boom bit be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's saying, but it sounds like that. Langdon boom boom. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, this song came out. I read this, read this on Wikipedia this morning. It came out of he was accused of two counts of murder <laughs> because someone, I guess, informed upon him, and so he sung an unintelligible reggae song as some kind of street vengeance. Tom Hanks did this. <laughs> it's unlikely, but true. Mm. Wow. Well, he wow. does have a rapper son, Chet Hayes, of course. Did you know that? I did not. Do you know that? I knew that he had this uncle Chet. Mm, Chet Hayes. I know the one called Colin. <laughs> it's not Colin. Uh, right, let's move on to movie news. Let's talk about some movie news. Um, yes. And thankfully, we're recording this on Friday morning uh, because of lots of weird reasons. And I think we're glad we held on because some major news broke yesterday. Huge news. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them will be not one film, not two films, not three films as we had previously been told, but five. This is a five-act structure on a not four films. scale. Not four, not, not six. six, but five. To five shall ye count. <laughs> <laughs> um, with Fantastic Beast films. And, and J.K. Rowling made it extremely clear on Twitter last night <laughs> yes. that it was not at, at least, least five. It was not around five. It was five. Five is the number. Such good tweet. So, yes. Cinco is the number. Sank is the number five. We're counting on five Fantastic Beast films. I wonder if they'll change the subtitle. If it'll be Fantastic Beasts and Harry some Potter, people. Fantastic <laughs> Beasts on a trip to the seaside. Anyway, we, we, that remains to be seen. But it's. I think it's exciting. I'm really yeah. excited to see this. It's amazing. We've now seen some of the beasts and they look cool. Uh, I want Eddie Redmayne's amazing coat, but I also think that he might be good in the in the lead role. And uh, and I've said all along since this was first announced I'm really excited on seeing the kind of clash of the Wizarding World kind of aesthetic and this kind of 1920s Art Deco world I think mm-hmm. that's a really intriguing mix and something that we haven't seen a million times before so so yeah I mean we, we obviously have to see number one first and see exactly how excited about this we're going to be but you know on paper sure at least we now know where to find them do we though well I don't yet I mean he's just I brought don't... them to New York we don't know where they originally came from well, at least we know where they're going to be <laughs> In five films, um, yeah. I mean, again, until we've seen the first one, it's really, it's really difficult to say. I certainly think more Potter in the world can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the part of me that thinks there's an ever so slightly cynical bit of this will make a colossal amount of money for How Warner Brothers. Dare you. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to be bad films. In fact, if Potter's anything to go by, they should be very enjoyable. So yeah. you know, yeah. yay, yay for good kids' films and yay for good family films. As ever, I am positive. <laughs> but um, no, I, I love the majority people in this cast Ezra Miller I sort of want to spend my whole life with so. yes and he's um, very really? mysterious he's been very very mysterious about this film and you've kind of got to hope that he's hiding something about the future and it'll be yeah. an even bigger role in films to come I mean with that haircut he's got to be shifty right with, I mean the haircut is, is not I mean Shout when shifty. is the last time you saw a good guy with that haircut describe the haircut for people who haven't seen it it's a kind of a, an aggressive bowl cut yeah, yeah it is <laughs> literally um, I mean, John Paul George Ringo okay that was the the last time so it's been 50 years the monkeys <laughs> the three stooges I don't know if they were really goodies they hit each like, other um, a lot it's a bit like Smike in some variations of uh, Nicholas Nickleby I've seen Peter Beardsley <laughs> mm. sorry I've just nailed you there 
I, 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 I mean, you I've might have done you. it. I don't I've even know. You. Who is that? Is that a footballer? He is a footballer. Okay. I don't think he has the same cut, though. Honestly, wait, wait till you see it. It's really unpleasant. It's amazing, and it is testament to Ezra Miller's natural charisma and charm. And that, cheekbones. <laughs> yeah, that he was able okay? To yeah, right. No, like I mean, it's my friend. <laughs> no, I don't want. It's just that was the most. That was the most wonderful <laughs> giggle. It was like, yeah, the cheekbones. <laughs> If, if we brought um, him on the podcast, because he's obviously in Justice League, if, if he's in the podcast, do we do we need to worry about you? No, do we, need we have to... the same birthday, so I feel like we're really. Yeah, I think we're same age. No, or he's no, he's a, he he's younger than me. He's younger. He's younger. Um, There's someone also, younger than you. This is uh, maybe this will give Kelly Riley a chance to finally be cast opposite Eddie Redmayne because they are the same person. <laughs> oh, like Judy Dench and Derek Jacobi. No, Eddie Redmayne is too busy trying to win this <laughs> season's Great British Bake Off. <laughs> That's or is it true. Kelly Riley? Or is it Kelly Riley? <laughs> Who knows? All will be revealed. Or maybe he's out already. Who knows? Chris, I'm not no saying spoilers. Uh, no spoilers for me, Helen. I'm just, I'm just building the mystery. All right, Sarah McLachlan. Um, any other news? <laughs> then? There was is a it? small trailer that broke. We should maybe mention. Teeny, tiny. Uh, oh, John yeah. Wick Chapter Two. Ah, yes, that's yeah. right. Oh, Although, that is... to be fair, John Wick Chapter Two looks brilliant. I have to confess uh, to doing a fault fast on John Wick. Yes, no, because I didn't much like John Wick the first time I watched what? it. I thought that the... Oh, God. This is an embarrassing admission. I thought The Equalizer was a better film. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but we're wrong. You know, this is the good thing about being human. Humility. <laughs> and I'm the best at being humble is um, is is one of our uh, one of our most endearing traits. And I feel that now I showed John Wick to my wife because I, I saw... Oh, here we go. Drinking game. Yes, he's mentioned his wife. Because um, I saw the trailer for Chapter 2 and I thought, Oh, that, that's interesting. I might rewatch the first movie. And I watched it the weekend with my wife, and it's oh, a drinking game. And uh, it's it's awesome. It's, yes, it's awesome. Yeah. Yes, it is. And she was just blown away by it. She needed to, you know, to calm down a little bit afterwards because it's ultra, ultra violent and includes a dog being kicked to death, mm. which is just really, really sad, obviously. And some people die as well. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the dog dies. But it's so good. It's so good. And and the trailer to the second one is very, very exciting. Yeah, that, that honestly, you know, we live in a very turbulent world right mm. now. There's a lot of depressing and scary stuff out there and I feel like the John Wick 2 trailer makes it okay again but speaking of good trailers that was not the one we started to talk about James no well, now well that's know. all I can think about <laughs> um, it's so good the bit where he's in the, uh, the, the uh, this is only the teaser but it's got Lawrence Fishburne in it and there's like a Matrix reunion and you're going wow god it's Neo and Morpheus what's happening but John Wick's cooler than Neo what's happening this is amazing and then there's that bit where he's in the lobby and he sees his target and everyone sees him and he goes for his gun and everyone just shits their pants because it's John <laughs> Wick and he goes you know do you want a war or are you going to just give me a gun and you're like oh my god this is the best film of 2017 <laughs> and there was a, a poster came out as well also from New York Comic Con a so good very so good poster good. Yeah. a very good poster him so good. surrounded by guns yes which is a play on a Harold Lloyd uh, image from 1918 from a film called Two Gun Gussie which uh, the, the image does not appear in the short because I, mm. I, I watched it it's an eight minute short it's on YouTube but that is a, an image of Harold it's Lloyd it's also something that a, a real I think Marine Drill Sergeant did there's a picture of him with all the guns basically his entire corps kind of pointing their guns at him mm. up to his 
neck and apparently he was able to disarm most of them. So, <laughs> well, the amazing thing about that, that, that image of John Wick surrounded by all his guns, guns pointed at him point blank is that you feel sorry for those poor bastards <laughs> pointing the guns yeah. because he, he's going to unleash apocalyptic levels of hurt on them. It's it's really, really great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I hope, I Amen. hope, I hope. Also this week though, there was a, a trailer you may have noticed for Rogue One. Yes. This is the final trailer, a little bit more kind of substance. We now know that Mads Mikkelsen plays the father to Jyn Erso. The father of the Death Star. So I wasn't incorrect. <laughs> you, actually, you weren't. You're right. That's He's also true. a guy who is forcibly I mean, conscripted, it, says, it seems, by the Empire to do something on a key element of Death Star design. Um, and that seems He's to be... He's a plumber. It seems from the, from the trailer, it seems that he's separated from Jin at that point and forced to work on the Death Star and she's trying to, among other things, get him back. Um, so that's kind of nice. Gives it a little bit of humanity and also gives us a chance to see Mads Mikkelsen, which is never unwelcome. Bridge. Especially when he's playing at least two scenes opposite Ben Mendelsohn, which I imagine Emma will basically faint in the cinema uh, just watching. So I can't that's talk really about exciting. Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very good trailer. And of course, it's I think the standout point of that is it ends with a sweeping shot of Darth Vader coming out of what I appear is what appears to be the Death Star's bathroom. Yeah. Um, he's, he's had a really hot shower. Yeah, and, and the steam, steam everywhere. I wouldn't go in there for ten minutes. <laughs> it's basically that. <sighs> I'd uh, give it a little while if I were you. He's he's very it, uh, that 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 gave me chills actually. I rewound that a number of times. I don't think he's going to be a big part of it. Neither do I. He? But it doesn't matter. He's in it, and That's it's true. Vader. That shot through me. I'll be honest with you because he walks so incredibly quickly yeah. in that shot. And Prowls never did that. Yeah. Uh, so it almost feels like maybe it's a Benny Hill style chasing. <laughs> maybe they might have sped it up slightly for the trailer just they to, might have yeah, done. Yeah. True. They just might to have get done. the impact. I, I, I really, really properly love that trailer and I will really, really properly love the film. However, <gasps> you, you, so you've made your mind up already. That you're however, no, no. My main, my main concern uh-huh. with that particular trailer is I felt the Williamsectomy Upsetting. I found it. I found it problematic in that it just was so not Williams. And to me, Williams Williams's unique sound is Star Wars. And I was saying, oh, you know, I love Michael Giacchino. I'm not even sure that's Giacchino's score at this point. Has he even done it any of the scoring yet? It won't I be. It probably isn't his work. It's something else. But it isn't Williams, and it didn't feel like Williams. I and I remember when I first saw uh, when Dave Filoni did the Clone Wars film, um, which you know is flawed, but it's fine. The biggest problem I had with that is the lack of Williams meant it just didn't feel like Star Wars. And I'm sure this film will have the fanfare I'm sure it will have those key things but if the main score isn't Williams will that take some of the Star Warsiness away from it and that's my main concern but at some point Star Wars is going to have to move away from John Williams no I firmly believe he's immortal <laughs> okay yes I like the trailer. I'm hopeful about this movie. Obviously, it's had lots of rumoured trouble behind the scenes, but yeah, fingers crossed. There's that really interesting shot of what appears to be a giant statue of Obi-Wan Kenobi as toppled over in the in the desert. Or, yeah, just a Jedi in even. And yeah. that, that did seem a little bit odd because you don't feel like the Jedis would be putting up monumental statues of yeah. themselves. <laughs> but perhaps some local just got really carried away <laughs> yeah. and, and then they turned up and had to be all like, oh, that that's very nice. I mean, you really didn't have to, in 25 years it's exactly like the episode Janestown in Firefly it's exactly like Janestown exactly yeah. yes um, with the hats and everything amazing yep oh don't tell us you haven't watched don't say it so what other when news? Firefly came out <laughs> oh whoa yes. <laughs> what else is happening <laughs> there is other news Disney are apparently working on a Don Quixote movie 
and they have Billy Ray scripting it. Now, this is extremely worrisome for those of us who've been waiting a lifetime, a lifetime for Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote movie, which is due to start shooting this month, people. Can you not let him get it in Touch the can it. and let's face it, out and released before you start announcing any competing projects? In fairness, Disney, we're talking about this back in December 2012. They're now back in active development with The Hunger Games and Captain Phillips, Billy Ray writing the script. And it's meant to be more in the tone of the adventure venturing tone of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which makes me wonder if any of them have read Cervantes' book. But you know what? I'm just going to not even get into that, but fine. (laughs) I just really, really, really want Terry Gilliam's film to come out first and have its fair run at the box office and and to have the support behind it. (laughs) It would be just so good. Please. Terry Gilliam. Poor guy's cursed. Don't let this make it fall apart. Finally gets to the point where he's ready to start shooting again. (laughs) man who killed Don Quixote and he go well, everything's going well and it's like oh I'll just check what's happening on oh bollocks <laughs> <laughs> oh well I'm sure it'll be fine a couple of small things I want to talk about as well one's actually quite a big thing uh, New York Comic Con happened last week mm. at the weekend and they had some footage from Iron Fist like a trailer from Iron Fist um, that, that's definitely a trailer you can see it online and uh, yeah it's fair to say I'm not hugely excited about Iron Fist but the exciting news coming from that was that the Defenders is happening and Sigourney Weaver is the bad guy yeah, yeah. Mm. that's super awesome so I feel sorry for the Defenders because Sigourney Weaver may be 67 years old but she's still able to kick their, all their asses with mm-hmm. just one hand tied behind her back and uh, she's going to put a hurt on them definitely I would say well she should probably end up being killed at the end of it but you know what? I would say if it were actually Sigourney Weaver playing Sigourney Weaver reprising her role from Finding Dory yes as Sigourney Weaver <laughs> I still would not defenders. bet against her I really wouldn't she's formidable yeah. that would be a really interesting as of the defenders Sigourney Weaver standing over the littered corpses of Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist and also it's interesting no Punisher on that lineup. Uh, so they don't seem to have John Bernthal as part of that uh, which is worrying. which is intriguing um, you guys have any thoughts on that? I'm, yeah I'm excited I'm excited to see it I'm also slightly reserving judgement on Iron Fist but you know we got to hope for the best I guess we got to hope for the best it's, it's the origin of this now it's, as I recall from the comics he sticks his hand into a mystical brazier that's brazier not brazier which would be a very different type of show <laughs> yes uh, and that's how, not Donald Trump and that's how he gets his, his powers is that, is that it, where they're going it, with uh, this like a dragon's heart or something <laughs> that he sticks his hands into and then they yeah something I think it's a, I think it was originally a dragon's heart the thing is and the problem here is and I can't say the reasons why but I didn't like Luke Cage uh, at all so now I am worried about Iron Fist love Daredevil love Jessica Jones and I have hit my first Marvel TV road bump and so I have concerns I didn't love the second half of Luke Cage as much as the first but I still liked him a lot and I liked some of what they were trying to do a lot Mm, I liked him he's brilliant yeah he's great but um, I think (laughs) <laughs> but you know what? Uh, reserving judgment, hoping for the best. And yeah, you know, they haven't been massively wrong yet. So. I have yet to see Luke Cage. <gasps> it's tricky for me because yeah, I haven't had a lot of time and there's a lot of TV I've got to catch up on, usually of the Bake Off and Menu and Apprentice variety. <laughs> so they've been they've been fine for my time. But hopefully at some point I will settle down. Yeah, it's a mere yes, 13 hours of your life. With my wife, who does exist. <laughs> She's real. I'm we're going to watch Luke Cage. It's true, we met her. Uh, if she is an actress being paid by Chris to play
play his wife. Like she's certainly, you know, been available regularly over the years. Also, in weird title news, there's the news that Predator, the Predator, Shane Black's Predator, has been changed to Ollie, potentially. That's well, got to be a production title, title, right? right? It's got to be just a production title so nobody knows they're making Predator, except now we know, all know <laughs> that they're making Predator. I love the idea of this beast prancing around the jungle called Ollie. Yeah, we now know the Predator's name, and frankly, this just kill me. Well, Oliver. I genuinely, that would, I mean, I don't think they're going to call it Ollie. No. I think I don't that's either. just the production title. But the news, of course, yes. is that Benicio Del Toro is out. Right. Because apparently he's busy and got other stuff to do. What? Uh, and Boyd Holbrook, who I love, is in. Very different. Very, very different actors. Very different. So Boyd is in Narcos yeah. and he's about to be in Logan, the yeah. new Wolverine movie. Yeah, he's in Gone Girl. Please watch the Skeleton Twins. He's in that. Yeah, he's, he's I think, a really interesting up and comer he's having a great time right now but yes yeah, so different to Benicio but that's interesting I'm obviously being someone who didn't grow up in the 80s I came to Predator late blah 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 but I do love it and I'm super intrigued to see what they do with this Shane Black's obviously an absolute hero and so hopefully that's going to be pretty fun which yeah. will be a nice twist but I don't know I just I just find the idea of this beast being called Oliver absolutely hilarious and I or hope maybe he just skateboards maybe he just ollies yeah who knows it's going to be very exciting to see what happens with Ollie coming 2018. I know a lot of Ollies, and none of them are invisible killing machines. Or but, are they? Or are they? <laughs> Wait a minute, there he is! Oh, God! Okay, that's it for the movie news. Time now for our second guest. He's one of the founding members of the Starship Enterprise, a valued crew member throughout the original series, the animated series, and the first six Star Trek movies. And as I discovered when I spoke to him recently when he came into London, he's a brilliant raconteur, a lover of the stage, and much, much more besides. He is, of course, a legendary George Takei, who came to the UK recently to attend Destination Star Trek up in Birmingham and plugged the hell out of the new Star Trek box set like no man has ever <laughs> the hell out of something before. <laughs> Have great fun with this interview. I certainly did. Hope you enjoy it. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the great George Takei. Hello, sir. How are you? Just great. We're in London and we brought our California sunshine with us. So we have the best of all possible worlds. Is that what it is outside? Because That's what we brought with me. It's October. We opened our luggage and we went like this. And, but it, we went like this in London and we have all the delights <laughs> and wonderful theatre of London. Oh, fantastic. So have you been checking out some shows? I have. We arrived Friday night, uh-huh. and I saw the best, uh, uh, the first thing this trip. Uh-huh. I saw a matinee of uh, The Entertainer with oh, uh, yeah. Kenneth Branagh, yes. written by John Osborne. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely brilliant. In fact, he moved me to, to uh, tears. Oh, wow. He is an amazing actor, Kenneth yes. Branagh. And then that evening I saw The Go-Between with mm-hmm. uh, Michael Crawford, mm-hmm. and that was all right. Yes. And then yesterday we saw a revival of uh, a 1968 uh, play that I saw in New York uh-huh. called The Boys in the Band. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, it is still powerful and relevant, wonderfully acted by an excellent cast and a good-looking cast, which is important in uh, The Boys in the Bad. Absolutely, absolutely. If you're still in London, I'm going to recommend uh, The Play That Goes Wrong. It's fantastic. Where is it playing? Uh, it's at, I think, the Duchess Theatre. It's a fantastic, play, Is it an original? It's I an original comedy. Very, very funny. 
the play that goes wrong. The play that goes wrong. That's my recommendation to you. Uh, in uh, on Broadway, we have a, uh, a play, and it's it's uh, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, something rotten. Okay. Okay. You know what, where that's from? Yeah, where's that from? Shakespeare. Shakespeare, of course. Something's rotten in the state of Denmark, <laughs> and this play is rottenly hilarious. <laughs> it's about Excellent. Shakespeare, actually. Oh, really? Or uh, uh, two brothers uh-huh. who are aspiring playwrights, mm-hmm. and they see William Shakespeare, Bill Shakespeare, yes. as their big competition. <laughs> <laughs> Something ne- was rotten there. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never amount to anything like Shakespeare. Mark my words. But obviously, you started off. Uh, we were doing a sound check, and you recorded Shakespeare. So, uh, is the Bard important figure for you? Is that someone? Yes, that, yeah. yes. Mo- well, most actors, you know. Yeah. And uh, my graduation present from uh, the theater uh-huh. at UCLA, Uni- uh-huh. University of California at Los Angeles, uh, was a present for my parents, a summer session at the Shakespeare Institute at Stratford-upon-Avon oh, wow. in Warwickshire. Oh, wow. Okay. It was the most glorious summer that I, that I ever had. What did you do there? Well, I sat in the cemetery of Trinity Church, uh-huh. watched the swans glide by, as I read Macbeth and Twelfth Night and A Midsummer Night's Dream in a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely setting. What? what a glorious setting. It was, yeah. with all that history. And to know that Bill Shakespeare's bones are a moldering just a few feet away from me <laughs> at Trinity Church. Amazing, amazing. And there were... Graves are moldering right around me, all around me. Yes, absolutely. Well, yes, indeed. But you know, one of particular note. Most certainly. So, so um, I guess then, were your experiences with Nicholas Meyer on Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six because where he worked in a lot of Shakespearean references? And yes, he did. The very title, yeah, the absolutely. undiscovered country, indeed. which I think is mistitled. Okay, Star Trek Six. True subtitles should be Captain Sulu to the rescue. That's what it's <laughs> That's about. That's right. That's it begin, right. Who does it begin with? It begins on the Excelsior yes. with Captain Sulu, yes. a brand new captain in yes. this brand new ship, much bigger than the Enterprise. <laughs> and we go off and running when Praxis explodes yes. and makes... That great ship, Trimble, yes. just about in the, in the middle when Captain Kirk is about to be blown away to smithereens by the uh, 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 Klingon captain played by, uh, 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 oh, I'm just drawing that blank. Christopher uh, Plummer? Christopher yes. Plummer. Who should come to the rescue? He's about to <laughs> blow a uh, 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 Kirk to Kingdom Come, but yes. Captain Kirk out of—I mean Captain Sulu—out Sulu. of the darkened galaxy sky yes. and blows the Klingon captain and Indeed. ship uh, away, Indeed. thus saving Captain Kirk Absolutely. and the traditional classic ending of all Star Trek television episodes as well as the movies the on the bridge of the enterprise uh-huh. with the captain in yes. the center seat yes and he looks up at the uh, view screen at the giant image of captain sulu yes and in essence he says thank you for saving my ass <laughs> <laughs> and captain sulu says 
Good to see you in action. One more time, Captain. And he roars off. And there's an absolutely awestruck McCoy looking at that giant ship go off. And he says, by God, that's a big ship. (laughs) And Scotty chimes in. Hey, but not so big as that a captain, I think. That's a Captain Sulu movie. It certainly is. Captain Sulu to the rescue. That should be the true title of number six. Not quite a Shakespearean, but I like it. I like where you're coming from. But then Shakespeare made a mistake. He should have said something about Captain Sulu (laughs) in one of his masterpieces. Absolutely. You You need to get a time machine, go back 400 years, and go... Bill, I have some notes. Yes. <laughs> so, a little suggestion. Instead of maybe Hamlet, could you call him Sulu? And, uh, we'll take it from there. It'll all be fine. Oh, wouldn't that be delicious? Uh, it would be amazing. So in the, in the early days of Star Trek in particular, when you guys were, when the show was on TV and you guys were working together, did you do plays during the off season or when you were on hiatus? Did you support each other? Did you go to see each other in plays? Actually, I saw Leonard in a play... Um, before I did Star Trek, uh, he, I saw him in a small theater on, right off of Santa Monica Boulevard mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, Jean's Genet, Jean Genet's uh, Death Watch. Okay, yes. And uh, I was doing a um, civil rights musical uh, titled Fly Blackbird mm-hmm. when Nichelle Nichols, who knew one of the cast members, came to see it, and I met Nichelle for the first time, also before Star Trek. So uh, I had connections with two of the, the uh, Star Trek actors even before Star Trek. Amazing, amazing. And, and now you're in the, you're in the UK, you're, uh, you're going to Birmingham later this week for yes, Destination Star Trek. for a great big yeah. 50th anniversary whoop-de-doo. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek whoop-de-doo. <laughs> is that a Shakespearean term? Uh, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, you know, Shakespeare could have been a bit more worldly. <laughs> <laughs> As you said, he's not going to amount to anything 400 Midsummer years later. Midsummer Night's whoop-de-doo. How's that for a title? That's a much better title. It's a box office smash. Yeah. Just that title alone, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, it's amazing. What, what, what you, um, is the convention circuit a big thing for you? Well, particularly this year, because of the 50th anniversary, uh, a few months ago we did one in Bonn, Mm -hmm. and there was a great big one in Las Vegas, which was another planet altogether. (laughs) Uh, And uh, there have been many other conventions, but those uh, uh, three, uh, Bonn and... Bonn and uh, Birmingham and Las Vegas, I think, are going to be three of the biggest. Oh, wow. Okay. So has this year in particular uh, been a special one for you in terms of, you know, Star Trek's in everyone's mind. The anniversary is there. We've had a new movie. Is this something that's really driven at home? I mean, imagine that it's a huge part of your life. It is. At the best of times. Star Trek has really uh, defined my professional career. Uh, until then, I was doing uh, guest shots on television, a couple of uh, feature films with legend- legendary actors. Uh, with Richard Burton, I did Ice Palace, two weeks on location with him uh, in Alaska and two months back at the studio. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, a film with uh, Cary Grant yeah. titled uh, uh, Walk, Don't Run. Uh-huh. And also I did... Uh, a film with John Wayne yes. uh, between the first season and second season during mm-hmm. the hiatus of uh, Star Trek called The Green Berets. Mm-hmm. 
uh, about the Vietnam War. Thank God we, we didn't go on location to Vietnam. <laughs> we uh, went on location to Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia. Okay. So yes, much safer there. Just down the road, essentially. Yes. Okay. And this year we're also celebrating the 50th anniversary with uh, this extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime collection of uh, all of the original uh, cast uh, uh, TV episodes mm -hmm. and all of the original cast's feature films. Yes. And we also became an animated series. Yes. Uh, yes. And all of those episodes, all done in, on Blu-ray, DVD. Mm -hmm. And th that also comes with... Uh, six original mini posters for the six films that we did. <laughs> and to boot, yes. there is a uh, documentary uh -huh. about the making of Star Trek. Yes. But wait. Okay. There's more. more. There's, more. There's more. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. It's good. Two, 20 hours uh -huh. of various special Star Trek treats. Wow. Okay. That's intrigued. it. I'm intrigued, George. Uh, do you take cash or credit? Because uh, we'll do both. <laughs> we'll take whatever you have. <laughs> I'll take two. One for me and one for my wife. It's going to be great. A lovely Christmas gift. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One, it sounds great. One for you and one for her. Absolutely. Her. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what it looks like. Yes. Alas, we're not on camera, so <laughs> they can't see it. But it's a handsome package. It's a very handsome package. Done in gold yes. because it's the golden anniversary, mm -hmm. 50th. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are silhouettes of... All seven of us. Yes. But they're only silhouettes. Because if our faces are recognizable, uh -huh. Paramount would have to pay more. Kerchin, do you take cash or credit? Once again, we go back to that. Uh, it's amazing. So it is a golden anniversary. Have you been exchanging gifts with your castmates? <laughs> you know, it happened on the 8th of September. That's okay. the, uh, the birthday, 50th yes. birthday of uh, Star Trek. Um, maybe I should get some gifts a little bit late because, you know, we usually get gifts for our friends uh, after their birthday. Yeah, of course. So of course. this weekend I'll be seeing uh, uh, Walter uh -huh. and I don't think Nichelle's going to be there. Okay. And okay. the only other living one uh -huh. <laughs> is Bill. Yes. Um, Bill, I think, deserves my presence. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think it's fair to say that your your relationship with Bill has been strained over the years. Not Is really. I mean, I okay. see him at yeah. these conventions, okay. and I talk to him. That's good. Um, but yes, we do have a history. Yes, we all have a history with Bill. Yes, every single member of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I suggest a good present for Bill? A present. A present. The Star Trek Why box should, set. I, I thought I, I was being very generous with the <laughs> gift I was pl planning to give him. Just your presence. I told you my presence <laughs> is this gift. <laughs> Just a warm handshake. That's gift it enough. It could be a little on the sweaty side. <laughs> and I'll wash it right off. <laughs> so not strained at all. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I wanted to ask about the, uh, the animated series, George, because it's a strange footnote in Star Trek history and I don't think a lot of people even really knew it existed. It only ran for two seasons. Uh, but it was that lovely story that uh, were initially Bill and Leonard and DeForest were brought on as voices and they said we and do Major. this. Yes, and Major. Yes, uh, of course. And Jimmy. Yes. Uh, they, uh, they were to do their own voices. 
But Jimmy was to do all of the other male voices as well. (laughs) And Majel was to do not only her character, uh, Nurse Chapel's voice, but all of the female voices. And when Leonard found out about that, he said, well, where Michelle and George? And they said, well, we we don't have the budget for them to do their voices. But Jimmy Doon will do a very good Sulu, and uh, uh, Nish, uh, uh, Major will do a very good Uhura. But Leonard said, what Star Trek is about yes. is finding strength in our diversity. The Enterprise was supposed to be a metaphor for Starship Earth, yes. and it was the diversity of this starship. People of many different races, many different faiths, many different cultures, all coming together, working in concert, confident of our problem-solving capabilities, of our innovative and inventive genius, and our entrepreneurial spirit. That's why the ship is named the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And the the two people that most represent, personify our diversity are Nichelle and George. Yeah. And if they are not going to be a part of this series, uh, this series won't reflect what Star Trek is really about, and I'm not interested in it. It was an extraordinary statement on his part for an actor to say, I'm not interested, I'm going to walk if Nichelle and George are included to sacrifice his own job for two other actors. Mm. But he did. Mm. And uh, uh, Leonard is absolutely essential for Star Trek. Spock is the pillar, centerpiece, uh, center pole character. And so they somehow found the money to cast us. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I do owe, owe the animated me yes. to Leonard Nimoy's principled stand. Amazing. Well done. <laughs> he truly personifies the spirit of Star Trek. Indeed. And the conscience of Star Trek. Indeed. Uh, the animated series, just one last question about that. Uh, I spoke to uh, Dorothy Fontana recently. We ran a piece on it in the, in the magazine uh, about how everyone was, was in different places when the show was being recorded. So sometimes Leonard would be doing a play, he had to record it somehow in a different city. What was your experience of recording your lines? Did you have to, was it a, a scramble to record your lines? Were you on location somewhere else? It was like that for all of us, yeah. but um, it was not the most satisfying way to work for an actor. You know, because when we do the film versions, we're playing with each other, uh, each other's voices, rhythms, and actions. And... Uh, uh, too frequently, you know, I'd be reporting to uh, my scheduled appointment mm. and Jimmy would be leaving. So I would be in that booth all by myself oh. and we would uh, uh, record our lines separately, individually and disjointedly. And so it was not a very satisfying way to work at all. Oh. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the modus operandi yes. for doing voiceovers. Were you were in full costume? <laughs> I need to know. I could lie and say, yes, we were. And I got into makeup as well. All set to be completely, every yes. inch of my body yes. would, would be Sulu. Absolutely. It's the only way to be. You've got to go method, That's George. We you have to go are method. artists of integrity. 
I mean, do you think we would shirk part of what we... No, of course not. We become the character. Of course not, absolutely. absolutely. To do voiceovers, you have to have everything yeah. helping you out. Yeah, of course. To find the temple, the tenor, the timber, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, we have to wrap up to Oh, the today. things you can get away off the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely... I've got nothing on underneath my... <laughs> I just, you know, the listeners have no idea. You're welcome. They have no idea. Please do be comfortable. (laughs) Uh, George, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Can I put my clothes back on now? Put your clothes back on and put me down for five of Lewis box sets. Oh, very good. As as long as you take a check. Do you take a check? I'm sure we will. All right, excellent. All right, brilliant. George Takei, thank you so much indeed. Live long and prosper. (laughs) Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Awesome. Yep. Good old George Decay. What a yeah, very very interesting guy. Uh, let's talk about movie reviews. Let's talk about the reviews. And there's only one film really to get our our teeth into this week. It's Storks. No, wait, no, it's not. It's um, Inferno. <laughs> yeah, we got nothing. No, um, no. We'll, we'll come up with something. <laughs> I wrote the review for this, so let me go first. It's another Dan Brown adaptation Ooh. about Professor Robert Langdon, who's still teaching symbology, whatever that is, at Harvard. <laughs> Uh, it's an ology. It's an ology. It is an ology. You can. You always you need can. an ology. But in this film, he wakes up in a <laughs> hospital bed in Florence with oh. no memory of the last few days or how he got there. Oh, I wish I'd no memory of the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. What a, what a blessing! Uh, no, oh, he's only lost a few days. I'm oh, afraid. so he knows yeah. who he is. He knows who he is. I'm Professor Robert Langdon. It takes him a, a little minute or two to kind of get up and moving, which is a problem because someone is trying to kill him. <gasps> so his doctor. Dr. Sienna Brooks, played by Felicity Jones, as we've discussed, has to get him to safety and then no. help him figure out what the hay is going on. Uh, what is meanwhile, the hay going on? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It turns out that Ben Foster, who's so known for playing cuddly, friendly guys usually, <laughs> mm-hmm. is actually, in this case, a tech billionaire who's obsessed with overpopulation. We see a sort of TED talk that he gives at the beginning. And he has devised a thing that will solve overpopulation by killing half the population of the globe. Um, unfortunately, when he was being chased by Omar Sy, who's a SWAT team member working for the United Nations Health Organization, I'm sorry, um, he uh, throws himself off a building and dies. So the race is on, basically, to discover his bioweapon and uh, make the world safe for half of its population. Cheery. It's and of the course, end. Yes. Yes. The end. <laughs> and if you want to see a film about population control via a manufactured virus, watch Dennis Kelly's Utopia, available on DVD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are... It's it's a very old problem that's been discussed a lot in science fiction. Sherry Tepper has done several great books on it. All of them better than this, I think it's fair to say. I gave credit in the review for two things. I think it's interesting to kill off your villain at the beginning. So everyone's chasing him down, but he's not there pulling strings in the background. Do they know he's dead? Yes. Robert Langdon knows Everybody he's knows dead. Everybody knows he's yeah. dead. So he doesn't just keep forgetting, does he? No. He doesn't go, oh. He keeps having nightmarish visions, though. So apparently okay. they're actually based on Botticelli visions of hell, but I thought they looked rather Hieronymus Boschian. But, you know, there you go. He's dead. Everybody knows he's dead. So it's basically various factions okay. sort of doing stuff. But there are assassins. This sounds around. amazing. Well, this I sounds mean, like it could be even better than the Da Vinci Code and Ancient <laughs> Demons. I know that's difficult. Uh, but. That, I mean, that's that's a that's a bar, isn't it? 
I think it's clever to kill him off in the beginning. It's clever to disorient uh, Langdon because he can be so freaking obnoxious when he's explaining everything <laughs> to everyone around him that it's quite good to have somebody else have to explain things to him occasionally, which is quite nice. The problem is the film is just really boring and uh, they're running around all the obvious places in Florence and other cities that come into it. And you're just like, well, I've, I've seen this on the postcard. Like every postcard has exactly this in it. So what are you doing? And there's more vandalism of priceless work of art which always slightly upsets me yeah. I still haven't forgiven him for the bit in Angels and Demons where they just rip that Galileo mm-hmm. manuscript in the Vatican literally the entire cinema I was in went <gasps> so yeah it's just nonsense isn't it yeah. the whole film feels like it's sponsored by Thomas Cook I mean the whole it's just it's just how you go here on holiday also and maybe that I'm just quite still on the uptake but I understood None of it. Like, <laughs> absolutely none of it. Like, every oh, time what? he would look at some piece of art and he'd go, oh, well, this clearly indicates that this and this, and he changed this to this, and therefore we have to go here. And I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? But you did theology. You know that he'd rearranged the circles of hell in that painting, Do you know right? what I mean? And I was just like, this is just madness. Because even though he explains it, you still can't follow his logic in what leads to what. And, I, you know, I mean, the Vinci Code is flawed. Angels and Demons is flawed but at least you kind of know what's going on and there's an element of trashy airport page turner to them they're not unwatchable this I think is a bit of a low point what happened to the lost symbol I've no idea because this is actually the fourth Langdon story isn't it and the third one seems to be don't well, discourage them from skipping some James well don't, don't think for a second they won't go back and make it um, <laughs> the thing is I'd still happily watch another one I found this quite difficult but I really like the Da Vinci Code which I'm sure shocks you James um, uh-huh <laughs> I really like it, but I just felt like everyone was struggling with their lines. So I could see Felicity Jones almost sort of being like, I'm telling the audience something that I know they know because they can see me doing it. It's very exposition heavy. It's so um, exposition yeah. which, heavy. You know, I know there's a lot to explain and that's great because I'm a clever yeah. person, but I'm stupid at figuring things out in films. And I found that very helpful. See, my, my problem was I guessed a thing mm-hmm. really early and so I never I. guess anything so did I. really early yeah you guess it without even seeing round of a time I read the Wikipedia entry right oh Chris <laughs> um, that's when I guessed it so I hadn't done that I'd just like for the record to say that it's but, honestly but, easier to read a Wikipedia entry of a Dan Brown novel than it is to read the Dan oh, Brown that novel that is true that is true although it takes it's, about the same amount of time yes it's much um, the same experience but what the, the explanations thing was amazing because not only did they explain it they would then explain it in simpler language so so there's one point where one character says to Langdon, it's a bioaerosol. And Langdon goes, so it will spread through the air. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. That I understand. Really? I'd, I'd happily be a little bit out of it, you know, and try and get my brain to work a bit harder. I know that if I'm being sort of pounded too slightly, that then that is a problem for everybody else. But I would watch Ben Foster. I've said on Twitter, I'd watch Ben Foster watching someone watching paint dry. I think he's astonishing. That always. would be exceptionally really... dull. No, it's Ben Foster. No. I think he's incredibly talented. I'm, I'm going to make a list of all the people you've been really weird about in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> ben Foster. That's not weird. That's me. That's, that's it's me very weird. Him for his you would talents. watch him watching paint dry. I'd watch no, him watching, watching someone, someone else watching. Watching someone. Who's someone else? Boyd Holbrook. That would work. It doesn't matter who. I just. It doesn't matter. It's just I, go with the concept, Chris. It's not yeah. a weird concept. No, I, I think right. I think Ben Foster's great, and I want to see more of him. He's on the very good. Screen, so. Well, I'm sorry, but his character's dead, so you're not going to get it. Oh, what? 
And we can't go into details about the end of the film for obvious reasons. But it sounds like we could do a really uh, interesting spoiler special about this film. <laughs> we should record that. Uh, and, and I never let anyone know. No coherent it. sense of the no ending sense. as well. I mean, it's just ludicrous. But I did enjoy Irfan Khan's character, who oh. is actually having fun, unlike yeah. anyone else. Absolutely. He's and amazing. also, Tom Hanks is beginning to let some of his natural charm shine through Langdon's boringness. So, you know, full marks for that. So I gave it two, not one, basically, is what I'm saying. So T. Hanks for yeah, the memories. <laughs> makes no sense, but anyway, just like the film, I guess. So Inferno gets two stars, which is not a recommendation on this podcast. Or in life, I guess, really. Unless, of course, you're a general in the army. Okay. Profound. Mm-hmm. So last week on the show we had Andrea Arnold, the brilliant British director. Her new movie is American Honey, which stars Sasha Lane and Riley Keogh and Shia LaBeouf. And Emma Thrower is going to tell us more about it now. So American Honey is Andrea Arnold's first American film after doing Red Road and Fish Tank and Wuthering Heights, which we're all pretty much in love with, I think, a lot of us at this table. <laughs> uh, apart from Wuthering Heights, totally with you. Yeah? Yeah. And it follows Star, who's played by Sasha Lane, who's a young woman that Andrea Arnold found on a beach in Panama City during spring break, which is ridiculous. And she's in this sort of abusive home setting where she is picking up frozen chickens from dumpsters and she has these two little children with her and we don't quite know why. And she's desperate to get away from the place that she's in. And luckily for her, it just so happens that she comes across this guy, Shia the Birth, in a sort of Kmart. And uh, he's dancing around with his friends and she's sort of intrigued these people, you know, these strangers, what are they doing? Dancing to Rihanna. And then he propositions her in a car park and sort of says, you know, what are you doing with your life? Do you want to come with me? We're going to go across America. We sell magazines. And yeah, she basically goes, okay, I'm going to leave these two kids with their mother and she, off she goes on this crazy little adventure. And that's basically the premise. It is this sort of long, meandering, drawn-out journey with a lot of non-actors apart from Shia and Riley Keough who mm-hmm. plays his sort of on-off we're not too sure what their relationship is partner. They're going from door to door in Kansas City. Among others, yeah. Yeah. Trying to sell these magazines, telling these stories, sort of sub stories and she keeps getting paired up with Shia and trying to learn from him how to make money. Every night they go back to these motels, they're drinking, they're partying, basically having a really good time. But it's very clear that Star is completely lost, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because they're, they're living this quite hedonistic lifestyle on the surface, but there is this kind of threat of poverty underneath. Like, it's made very, very clear. If you don't make your targets, if you don't sell magazines, we will just leave you behind on wherever we happen to be. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, an interesting... I think it's probably, like, quite a good metaphor for just millennial life, isn't it? Because, sure. you know, it looks great from the outside, but there is no economic security. There is no kind of place of safety. Um, and she's kind of just trying to find a way. And I think it's it's interesting that, you know, a, a lot of films, I think, would see her escape from her sort of home life we find her in the beginning, which is clearly abusive, clearly yeah. incredibly deprived. They would see that as a victory in itself. They would see that as a, as a sort of an end to the story rather than the beginning. In some ways, it's the end of Red Road is the mm-hmm. kind of the beginning of this film. But it really isn't. It's just another stage here. And I think she's still lost. She's still trying to find her way. She's still trying to figure out what she needs to do. She does some incredibly reckless things. Oh, yes. She does some incredibly self-destructive things. Every time Shia starts a sort of story and, and seems to be getting on a roll and seems to be convincing people to to buy from them, she kind of sabotages yeah. it because she just isn't willing to pander to these people. She isn't willing to be dishonest. She's like, well, why would I do that? I'm, you're no better than me. Why, you know? And there is that kind of t- 
toughness and that kind of tough facade, I guess, over something that's really just really vulnerable. And I think that's Andrea Arnold's great gift is she just she presents her as a fully rounded character. There is no way that even the most conservative critic, I honestly believe, could go into this film and sort of come out kind of disapproving of this young woman and her life yeah. and her life choices because it, she's such an empathetic filmmaker that she just puts you right in her shoes. Absolutely. And it's such like an honest performance, yeah. isn't it? It's just amazing. I can't imagine, you know, any actual actor sort yeah. of filling that role. Um, she did say on the podcast last week that she had someone right up until the 11th hour, but then that didn't work out. So, you know, they found Sasha and it's just worked out. She's astonishing. She's astonishing she really in this film. And she, I think she's, you know, Arnold has a real eye for talent. I think, you know, Kyla Scodelario yeah. in Wuthering Heights, Michael Fassbender, really before he broke through, Kate Dickey as well. Like she yeah, she Jarvis. can she can see people before I think they, they kind of break through. And I think this might be one of those times. This could be really, really be the start of something. It's also like a huge, not, I don't even know if it's a return to form for Shia LaBeouf. It's the best he's ever been, I think. He's one of those actors that has the ability to just kind of get me right in the gut and I don't I don't quite know why in that he just really you know when you just get you kind of feel almost aggressive towards the screen you kind of feel yourself uh-huh. that performance is, is so visceral I felt very much like I was sort of having a battle with him which I, I thought was yeah a really interesting you know watching experience they have a lot of intimate scenes him and Sasha and I think you know I kept forgetting that I was watching a film I was just kind of watching these two people yeah. and it's hard to forget Shia as Shia and that's always going to be tough but that is but you, you do I think I, I really think you do I mean the bum bag and the rat tail help God help him <laughs> but yeah I think a lot of people will find it a bit too long or aimless yeah, unfortunately it is unquestionably both I think it is too long it is almost completely plot free but I think as a character piece and as a as also as a filmmaking piece like it's beautifully shot as well yeah um, I think it I think it's Robbie Ryan up. Robbie Ryan what in the guy. Art Academy ratio I think that the meandering kind of style works for it though yeah I really, really like it I felt like I'd lost a friend at the end of it with little Sasha and yeah I think going back to it it'll probably work its way up my films of the year quite easily I think Return Watches will do it a lot of favours actually yeah really really liked it yeah me too so we gave that four stars yeah. uh, which is very much a recommendation and I'll be honest I wrote the review and it was a high four I, I did flirt with five but it was just the length really so yeah Four stars in for American Honey. Uh, probably the, I'd say, the film of the week. Yeah. Absolutely, unequivocally, Definitely. the film of the week. Also out this week is an animated movie called Storks. Kelsey Grammer was on a few months ago, and he revealed the end of Storks <laughs> to us on the podcast. We cut that out. We cut it out. But, yes, um, I did. Yeah, uh, yeah, so there you go. But, um, yeah, he's in it. And it's an animated movie about Storks, and we gave it two stars. And I kind of wish we'd left the end in now, to be honest, but there you go. Uh, and also out this week is Kate Plays Christine, which is the first of two movies about the tragic US news anchor Christine Jubbuck who committed suicide on air in 1974. Uh, the next movie which is simply entitled Christine uh, stars Rebecca Hall. That's going to be out in this country next year we, we think. It doesn't have a release date at this point but this one is intriguing and engrossing but not entirely satisfying. Three stars for Kate Place Christine. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined all being well by Kobe Smulders, star of Jack Reacher, yes. Never Go Back. All very, very exciting. And if we're not joined by Kobe Smulders, <laughs> Ben Foster! Ben Foster! <laughs> watching Boyd Holbrook, watching Paint Dry. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Tiddly. It's goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Jimbo. Bye bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to uh, go down the market and get some box sets off George Decay. Very interesting indeed, Governor. See you next week. Bye. 